Hello and welcome. My name is Ian Cheeseman. This is the Forever Blue podcast and we do it every week. It's a, a podcast which is aimed principally at Manchester City supporters, but any fan of any football club, anybody with any interest, even in just podcasting, is very welcome along. The normal format of this show is it's about an hour long and we have an ex-City player or an ex-City manager or some celebrity who is a City fan as our special guest and then two members of the Forever Blue team and I chat with them and talk all things Manchester City. This week, though, being in an international break, I thought we would do something slightly differently. So I have a three-part podcast today, each roughly the same uh, bit in terms of the size of them, all about 15 to 20 minutes. And as ever, uh, this podcast is sponsored by Amar Development UK, who are a big company who are basically attempting to transform the buildings that they buy, like, for example, the Stockport Pyramid. If you've ever been in Greater Manchester, if you live in Greater Manchester, you'll have seen the pyramid just off the M60, and that has been converted into a a three-level event centre and restaurant, which sounds fantastic, but that's certainly not the only thing they do. But big thanks to AMR Development UK for their support of the podcast. So the three bits that we've got coming up, I will be speaking to someone from City in the Community, which is Manchester City's community arm, if you like, which does loads of great work, as it might suggest, in the community. Alex Williams, who was a guest on the programme a few weeks ago, on the podcast a few weeks ago, Alex Williams, MBE, was right there at the start, and we'll talk about how that has moved on and what City in, in the Community do now. We'll also be meeting a author, an American author, of a new book on Manchester City. I'll tell you about that more a little bit later on. But um, very, very soon now, indeed, I'm sure it'll be on sale at the Liverpool game, which is the next game that City play, will be the final edition of the King of the Kipax fanzine, the 300th edition of the King of the Kipax fanzine. And right from the start, it's been edited by Dave Wallace and his other half, Sue who does the uh, the illustrations, and I've been out to meet them at their headquarters to talk them talk to them about why they did it and what King of the Kipax is and why they decided to bring it to a conclusion. So part one of our three-parter podcast is me chatting to Sue and Dave. Tell me how King of the Kipax came about. What, why, what made you want to be editor and, and take on this lifelong passion of yours? <laughs> well, I'd already served my time here and I'd had letters printed in the uh, in the papers. I'd had um, I'd won competitions, Dennis Stewart and Keith McRae, poem competitions and various other things. And I was a member of the FSA, Football Supporters Association. Um, so I was meeting with fellow fellow supporters from different clubs that were passionate about the things that I was passionate about. And uh, that didn't really come through from the mainstream. So fanzines started in the mid mid eighties and um, Blueprint were the first city fanzine. We were moving house in 87. Um, so I gave some articles to Blueprint. Eventually round about eight, September 88, we started. Uh, we had a, a, an editorial difference with Blueprint. So we started to do uh, King of the Hipax and just took it from there really. Um, it was a bad time for football, hooliganism, ID cards, Heysel, lots of problems and um, it was just a difficult time and we were hoping to, you never saw anything about the humour of football fans and we wanted to give fans a voice um, and so tell it, it as it is. Was it slightly against the sterility of official programmes and yeah, things it was, like that? Yeah, it was bland. Blah bland gloss at the time um and uh you know we the fanzines came out and people told it as it as it was uh sometimes went a bit too far really but uh you know better to go too far and bring it back a little bit and it was uh you know when i when i used to go to away games as well and when i got back on the kipats they all used to say well what you know what happened so Everybody wanted to know about how many City fans were there, what were the chants, what were the police like, what was the stewards like, what were the away fans like, you know. And it was that uh, it was that sort of thing that we started to bring out with the match reports, with different match reports. They weren't just on who kicked the ball to who, 
they were all about everything that surrounds the game going to the pub even and things like that and the humour that uh, everybody had with the chance at uh, football grounds so you've become a millionaire from this haven't you um <laughs> not really no no we've uh, we've managed to keep afloat so far but it's been difficult these last uh, last few issues really and the club have they reacted to it i mean i think if i remember rightly there were times when it was difficult to sell it and then they allowed you to do it so they, they seem to have embraced you and king of the kipaks in recent years don't they yeah yeah i mean we 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 went through difficult times we were we were stopped from selling we were threatened to be sued at one point and um in recent years even even though we've had an official letter from the club we still get stopped by stewards who ring up and say is this is this allowed to be sold here but generally the club the club are okay with us now and um i mean we're not as critical as the club as we used to be in the swales area and the all you know the franny in the franny out and all that sort of stuff the main thrust of the fanzine now is the uh the media and other clubs that used to be friendly with us like liverpool and their uh their obsession with uh having a go at us so it's a it's a different magazine now i think um i think we've improved and learnt things over the years and uh, funnily enough i think i think issue 299 was one of the best we've ever done obviously with the, the contrib contributors subscribers with the contributors have got better as the years have gone on we're all getting a bit older a bit more mature perhaps and um, we're just getting tremendous stuff what's the proudest thing would you say about having been involved in this because you're the editor ultimately um, you are started off writing but it's largely other people that perhaps have contributed and I know some of them like Richard yeah. Burgess went on to work for the uh, Manchester Evening News. What makes you the most proud of what you've done? Um, I think it's basically giving, giving fans a voice uh, that we've never really had before and um, bringing out the humour of City fans and um, just moving on from there. We've had a lot of front covers that we've been proud of. I think I think the most recent one was the VAR one, where you know we had the lad saying to his dad, "Why, why do we need VAR?" And the dad says, "Well, because uh, the referees and the other officials weren't up to the job." So he says, "Well, what's the improvement?" And I said, "Well, nothing really, because we've got the same people involved in VAR that weren't good enough in the first place, which was the reason they brought in VAR, and it's been a disaster." And it's annoyed football fans. Just the last weekend, they spend five, six, seven minutes making a decision that's pretty obvious to everybody watching the game. And uh, it, it's upset a lot of people. A lot of people would rather go back to how it was because we still make massive mistakes. But we've been pleased to be able to give, uh, give a voice to City fans particularly over the years. And um, in the dark days, you know, the fanzines, not just KK, but the other fanzines that came about. The supporters clubs were great and we were able to promote them. And of course, all, all the genuine uh, city supporters that were in the media, people like Oasis, um, Johnny Marr, Billy Duffy, people like that. And all the celebrity blues that we've sometimes been able to interview and m make it, make it uh, apparent to ordinary city fans young lads who'd never seen us win a thing that we had cool guys that actually supported city ricky hatton for example is another one so i think we've been we've been proud to be able to do that over the years i mean what we haven't done we've not been able to make any impact on you know number of shirts that are being brought in and kickoff times and sky tv and everything so there's things that we've been disappointed that we've not been able to make any improvements on but you know we've done what we've done and uh, we've got to pr be proud of 35 years and 300 issues Ian really. Tell me how much you time and effort you put into this then I mean is, you had a normal job I mean I was joking about you being a millionaire before yeah, but yeah. you work you do this as as a hobby project really don't yeah, you yeah um, so just tell me about how much commitment and how much of your time and your lovely wife Sue's time you put into this because you do it's it's you know your house is, is is your office really it's your hq isn't it yeah it is yeah yeah well now basically 
when we get um we usually get uh, articles in on the on the monday um and it takes a full week to get them formatted um we have to put headings in we have to do cartoons photographs highlights and it takes us a full week to to get them all ready for the uh, for the printer we have a layout guy now because we've moved into complete color editions we have a layout guy who does it all and he gets stuff off the internet that we've and puts things in that we we would never have done in the old days so it's it's a full week doing that we get it to the printers in in that time i've got to do compliment slips stick stamps on letters labels on envelopes and um by the time it usually comes back in, on the thursday and i try and get everything out by the friday um get all the uh, fanzines put into the uh, envelopes off to the post office or post boxes we have to drive around lee to different not all the post boxes will take an a4 <laughs> letter so we have to drive around and and do it i mean at one point i used to I used to go down to culture to the post box in culture and that was the that was the car park where the uh, police uh, shot a guy one time luckily i wasn't there at the time you know that was about five years ago i think so you know that was a lucky escape really uh, but i mean that's since i've been retired so it's a solid fortnight it's waking up at five o'clock in the morning thinking oh did i put this score in did i put this attendance in who was the referee for a game and then maybe going back to bed for a couple of hours and then staying up. I've always been a night bird, so I've always been able to, uh, you know, to carry on till one o'clock in the morning. But when I was working, uh, I don't know how I did it, to be honest. Um, obviously, with Sue backing me up, that was brilliant. But, you know, I used to go to work at five o'clock in the morning. You know, it was a responsible job, project manager at the airport, you know, and I'd be, I'd get, I'd, I got to bed at five o'clock, get up at eight o'clock, have a meeting with the Germans or whoever was doing the latest project on baggage handling at the airport. And looking back, it was definitely a young man's uh, occupation at that time. I think the guys, who, I think David Mooney, who does the, you know, one of the podcasts now, he says something similar that he's always thinking about doing the podcast. If he's not actually doing it, he's thinking about what's going on, you know, and it's an experience that you've, you've probably had. But age catches up on us all. And now it's becoming a, a bigger effort um, even though we're getting fantastic uh, contributions, um, it it's now appears to be the, the time to call it a day. I've got a big birthday coming up and really it's ridiculous to be doing this sort of thing at my age. I've always drawn and I, I did actually go to art college um, where I learned very little. Um, well, you obviously learned something. <laughs> Um, and then started a family more or less straight after leaving art college and uh, didn't pick up a pen or a pencil for years and then when we started the fanzine we didn't know how to put photographs in so we had little gaps where I would do a little doodle to go in the gap and then like Topsy it grew and um, bit by bit I got uh, more used to doing it and um, that's really um, the story that's as well it. as doing people I mean I know you've even drawn me in the in the, mm -hmm. in the King of the Kipaks people like Sean who's a regular contributor mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Jed and people like that you also do the stadiums don't you no uh, I don't no do you don't stadiums. do the stadiums that's Dave's department because that's so he more, draws them he's more a draftsman he was a, a draftsman the start of his career so he I can't draw a straight line to save my life even with a ruler it ends up wobbling so people who are nice looking at strangely are hard to draw except um, Harland was a joy um, but people who don't have a, a prominent persona written in their face um, so who's the easiest one then? Have you got an easy one? Uh, well, people like Sam Allardyce. Um, I did him chewing a wasp because it said in the text he looks like he's chewing a wasp. Um, and uh, um, Alan Ball and um, Francis Lee was quite easy to draw as well. Um, Swales. 
and swales. Um, yeah. I think you should but do a self-portrait and one of Dave in the last issue. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. The other thing, of course, that you haven't mentioned, but I've witnessed it down the years, is you and Sue and other people stood outside grounds in pouring rain, getting there two or three hours before. I know you've probably missed bits of matches as well, getting in late, coming out early. Yeah. So it's not yeah. just putting the magazine together, it's actually selling it, as you mentioned, distributing it. Yeah. There's a lot more to it than people think, really, isn't it? Yeah, there? yeah, really is. Um, I mean, there's no point in putting a fantastic magazine together if you can't sell it. So, yeah, we've, we've stood out there in rain, sleet, snow, sunshine sometimes, which has been brilliant. You know, we've had all the, all the times when we've met, uh, you know, met some great people, some great supporters, got great Mike, feedback. Mike, any great ones that stand out in your mind? And he's great, what? Are the people who you've met who oh, are just ordinary yeah, fans yeah. or famous people who yeah, come we've, a magazine? We've, we've met famous people, yeah. We've met um, Sir Howard Davis, we've met him off, often, and John Stapleton, people like that. We've met Oasis at uh, QPR, I think, you know, when they, they just live around the corner, you know, and I said to Liam, I said, your music. You used to get a lot of criticism, Oasis, from older people in the MEN on that, you know, but... You know, I said to Liam, I said, your music stands up to anything from the 60s, mate. And he said, cheers. So I was quite pleased about that. But yeah, we've met many people. And of course, we used to go to all the away games, um, which was brilliant. Staying over sometimes when we could and uh, making a weekend of it, which a lot of City fans do now. As we as we get older, we're able to do, more fans are able to do that anymore. And Sean, Sean Riley, who... Went to every home and away game for year after year after year for about 30 years, I think. He had the record. Um, he does all the away reports. And the away reports are more than just, you know, who kicked the ball to who. You know, it was what what went on, how he got there, train, bus, plane, whatever. And, uh, you know, I find that of interest, really, more than, uh, more than the actual game sometimes. I mean, obviously, for the long periods where we were absolute rubbish, the... The actual away day was was better than the uh, the actual game, you know. Thinking of Lincoln and York and places like that, you know. A lot, I know a lot of City fans say, "Oh, it was great in the third division and that," but I don't believe that. I hated it in the third division, even though we were, <laughs> we were going to new new grounds and that. And as well as you mentioned, Sean Riley, we mentioned Richard Burgess. You've got Jed Sounds off. You've had Emily Brobin, who's yeah, one of my done well, uh, yeah. people who's contributed to my my podcast. Is soaring now in her in her career. There, there are so many contributors that I guess after all this time now that you look back on and you think, well, because they all do it for free, don't they? Yeah, and they so, do it for the love of the club. Yeah, and, yeah. And so every one of them really deserves a mention. We can't mention them all, but they've all been part no. of the story, yeah. haven't they? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Stephen Tom Parish who sell it you know been big friends ever since uh, we started and still doing well for us um yeah of course richard burgess is now a big uh, cheese at the bbc so he moved on from the fanzine i think he went to university i think he went to cardiff and and got into the media in cardiff by taking taking a fanzine where he had one article in which annoyed his sister louise who had loads of articles in and she's doing well now flits between Australia and this country. You know, we've had we've met some fabulous people and had, you know, made great friendships. And you, as well as doing this, have done things. I know you were the the, the blue Santa blue at the uh, Junior Blues every yeah, year. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you you've absolutely lived and breathed Manchester City. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have got one question to finish this whole interview, but just on the current city and the way that the club has changed. I mean, you've seen everything from the 68 team and before that when Mike Doyle was coming in yeah. and Glyn Pardo and Alan Oakes and all the rest of it and you've seen it all the way through to what we're witnessing now. How do you feel personally about the way the club's changed, is changing and and how has that been reflected in King of the Kipax? Yeah, well, yeah, I started supporting City in 1955. So, uh, I mean, my joke is I then stopped till 2008, but everybody knows I still went during that time. Um, well, it, the club's evolved. It's a miles different club now than what it was. I I accept that things have changed. We're getting a different, slightly different fan base. 
um but i quite enjoy watching the um you know the the the, the foreign lads come come in and take photographs of themselves with half and half scarves it doesn't really bother me i find it quite endearing you know in, in our section uh we probably get half a dozen like that which is fine and and their enthusiasm is infectious really um but i've got people i've got a guy who sits behind me that um i was at work with about 30 years ago at a certain place when he was 16 he was a blue and his dad was a red and uh, we became fr great friends and uh he sits behind me now and that's uh, that's good with his family um all my kids are obviously blues they wouldn't be you know they wouldn't be part of the wallace family though there's only one that's let us down which is our granddaughter heather she's uh she's partnered with a red but he's uh you know we can give him a lot of stick and he takes it in good part even at wembley they went to wembley together and he he had to leave before the end and go and sit on a phone somewhere with his head in his hands so you know we had to console him about that You've, you've had a fantastic time doing all this, I can tell that. Yeah. And obviously we, I'm not quite as old as you, but we've seen the journey from the Bell Lee Summerby era through the doldrums of the third tier of English yeah. football. Yeah. And you, as King of the Kipaks, were still there doing everything, reporting it, being the fans' friend, the voice of the fans, just as I yeah. like to try to be in what I'm doing these yeah. days. And here we are with the greatest team probably that has ever been, won the treble, um might do it again who knows yeah um, won all four domestic trophies there's nothing we haven't seen and you've chronicled it all you must feel <laughs> extremely proud of what you have at the part that you have been of city fandom well yeah i think it's a minor talent i mean we've we've, we've relied on fantastic contributions from from people uh, and we've got to give credit to the other fanzines as well we've everybody's kept it going and you know some of the some of the people who wrote for the other fanzines have come to us and uh you know there was a lot of rivalry early on with the fanzines and it was an awful period where we were arguing amongst ourselves i mean it was dreadful but uh we all stuck together and we're all friends now and i'm pleased about that and um yeah we've uh, i think we've done every we've covered every every game home and away for the last 35 years in a in a fans format which is different from the mainstream but i mean the mainstream has picked up from fanzines if you read the evening news now you'll see that the the city and united reporters actually comment on fans chants and what goes on with the fans and the banter and everything so i think we've uh, we've created some of that and we're very we're very proud of that but you know it's it's now unfortunate i mean it's, i still love doing it but as you get older, um, it, it, it makes makes a heavy toll, really. And, well, that uh, was going to be my last question. I mean, you, you yeah. have made the decision that the next <clears throat> edition, number 300, is yeah. going to be the last one. So when does that come out and how do we get it? But yeah. just as importantly, how did it feel to you? I know you've said age is catching up and all sorts of things. So you've yeah. already given us a little bit of the answer, but how hard was it to call it a day and, and admit sort of well that's it yeah it it was quite hard we, we we just about got to the end of last season being financially viable so i needed to see what the subscriptions were like this season and they have fallen away for various reasons postage is now gone up by another 40p it costs two pound 40 to send the fanzine out uh, and it's becoming uh, untenable really so that's that's been part of the reason and obviously reaching this milestone has been another one. Franny dying, which might sound a bit hypocritical for, for me because I was quite critical of his time, but I was there when he made his debut at 16, both the same age. And it is a sobering thought, you know, that he's passed as well. And um, that's that's a bit of a worry. But as far as the football goes, it's, it's fantastic football. Um, and it's just a pleasure to watch. Um, unfortunately, you, you just want to win every game. I did have I did have a mate early on. We won the league in 68, the cup in 69, and he said, right, that's me. I've done now. I've seen us win the league and the cup. I don't feel like that. I know we're going out on a high, but I don't feel like, right, I've seen us win the treble. That's it. I want to see us win the treble every year and beat United every derby game, you know. So 
it's not a case of that it's just a good time to to call it a day after the i remember the 200 edition ian and um it came out at fulham um and i think we spoke i think we parked in the same place in some vicar's uh, backyard or somewhere and uh you know, I, at that time, I think you said, you know, here's the 300. And I could not see us reaching 300 because I'd be this age that I am now. But I'm just so pleased that we've done it. And it's all down to the subscribers and the contributors. And we just say thanks to everybody. And thank the tributes we're getting are fantastic. And just thanks, everybody. Um, it's going to be quite tearful when we do do the, uh, the final edition. So... You know, that, I mean, I find it tearful when I do the last one of the season. So, what what's it going to be like when I do the uh, the final edition? That's going to be uh, tricky. And how we cope with the aftermath of that, I'm not quite sure. I know some of the guys, some of the subscribers are thinking of doing something online, maybe. So, you know, it it would be a shame that we've got all these great subscribers and all these people who still want to read a fanzine that we we can't get something else going online. So. You know, maybe it's not quite the bitter end, but it's certainly the end of the printed fanzine. So how do people get hold of this copy, the 300th? It's going to be a, a collector's <coughs> item, surely? Uh, could be, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, we hope to do everybody proud when we bring it out. It's coming out for, hopefully, the Liverpool game, the home game with Liverpool. Um, you can buy by cheque, by PayPal or Bax. And if you, if you email us on KOTK dot fanzine at gmail.com um we, we can give you details i miss it um but i i can't wait to have a, a choice of where and when we go on holiday and um you know and seeing the family more and going to see my daughter in south wales more often and not having to fit everything around football that's what i look forward to i still well, we'll still go to the city but we we won't have to fit family life around the football um, well on behalf of all the people who've enjoyed your little doodles um <laughs> thank you for what you've done and thanks for your part in king and the kickbacks it's i can i can say it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure mostly because of the lovely people that we've met along the way like yourself on behalf of everybody who has bought a copy uh, many copies perhaps down the years and has loved what King of the Kipax represents, which is the fans and the city family. The biggest thank you I can possibly, the most sincere thank you I can give you to you, to Sue, and to everybody, all those people we've mentioned and those that haven't been mentioned for doing what you've done, because without that, City wouldn't be the club that it is, would it? I don't think so. Well, very nice of you to say that, but you know, we've, like I say, it's been a minor talent for me and, um, yeah, we appreciate everything that you've just said. Well, that was Sue and Dave Wallace, of course, the instigators of, the editors of, the creators of, the sellers of, everything to do with King of the Kipax, the City fanzine, which now, after 300 editions, is coming to a conclusion. And we thank them for what they've done. And everybody that's read that fanzine, I'm sure will appreciate the hard work that they put in and wish them a very happy retirement. A little bit later on, we'll be meeting an American author who has a new book out on City. But next up, we're going to talk about City in the Community. And we're going to meet Sam Dainty, who's the Head of Partnerships and Fundraising, who will also tell us about the, a new prize draw which City in the Community is using as a fundraising uh, tool, if you like, and it's something you can get involved in. And I'm sure he'll tell you a little bit more, a little bit more about that a little later on. But here's my chat now with Sam Dainty. If you've always, always wondered what City in the Community is all about, now's the time you're going to find out. Sam, thanks very much for, for joining us. Tell us a little bit, um, you know, about football in the community um, and city in the community, CITC. Everybody's heard those initials. Yeah. What does it mean? What do you do? And thanks for chatting to me. No, no problem. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, in, in a nutshell, um, city in the community is the, the charitable arm of the football club. Um, as, as you mentioned, doing a lot of work for a long period of time since the Alex Williams days in 
in the 80s. Um, it's grown and grown uh, from that point um, to not only working in East Manchester, but, but also across Greater Manchester. Ultimately, empowering lives through football. Um, yeah, and, and, and really focusing on on a number of things, uh, particularly uh, physical and mental health, um, making sure that you know the brand of, of of Manchester City, but also City in the community, is, is a real strong one around Manchester, uh, and that we we really help help particularly young people, uh, but but also um, people of, of the older generation, but 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 specifically where we really try and focus on young people on inspiring inspiring them using the, the sort of power of football, the power of the badge, which is now obviously, uh, you know, a, a worldwide global, uh, global brand, uh, which is sort of best in class really. So yeah, uh, in, in terms of the work that we do, uh, we, we, we're quite a big team of over hundreds, hundred members of staff um, working, as, as I mentioned, within, um, all areas of, of Greater Manchester, uh, but focusing on, on on the city region more so. Um, we work with participants from the age of one years old, you know, one year old, um, with our early years provision, up to sort of um, young young men and ladies in their eighties. Um, you know, with our walking football uh, and uh, uh, reminiscity programs as well. So yeah, we, we and everything else in between. Uh, we we have we have three pillars of work, um, which is uh, which is the way we like to f- focus our our work. So we we've we've got a, a healthy uh, people uh, pillar, which focuses on um, developing that f- physical and mental health, healthy communities, which is around outreach and um, working with. Uh, various communities around the area um, to provide opportunity, sort of usually sort of evening and weekends type work. And then um, Healthy Futures, which is more around our education and then sort of employability and careers um, focus as well. So, yeah, we're an all-encompassing charity, uh, which is forever growing uh, and, and developing. But, yeah, I'd like to think that we do some amazing work. Um, we have a really strong relationship, as you can imagine, with with the football club. Um, and, yeah, using the sort of the power of the success uh, and the inspiration of, of, of the club and, and its players in particular. Yeah, ho- hopefully inspiring the next generation of, of, of young people not not just footballers but but you know decent young people as well i think it's fair to say as well from my observations that i know we, i call them the new owners but been around a long time now uh, that they're very much into this i mean you know there are other owners of football clubs which i'm not going to name who might not be as involved or not want to get as involved but um this this ownership that City have at the moment is very much uh, community orientated in so many ways. Uh, we know about the Connell College and Sixth Form College and and the way that they've developed the CFA and tried to use local labour. And so CITC, City in the Community, is very much part of that and very much part of what they believe in, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's definitely in terms of ethos, um, for sure. You mentioned around East Manchester and the development of, of this area of the city has been magnificent. Uh, yeah, you mentioned, you know, college uh, and, and, and Connell um, Co-op College, but but also the, you look at the, you know, Co-op Live Arena, um, all the residential building work that's gone on, uh, the regeneration of this area is, is amazing. And yeah, we, we, we you know... We're a strong focus on that, making sure that we we align with that, and um, you know, as a charity, although a standalone charity, obviously have you know full support um, from the football club. Um, obviously, as we we are, you know, we with that charitable arm of the football club. So yeah, we we have a really strong relationship and 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 sort of uh, aligned aims and objectives to make sure that we we serve our community well. And just give us a little idea then of the the practical side of what you do. Um, can you give us one or two examples of what a typical day would be like? And and you say you know over a hundred people you know working for city and community. What yeah. what would a typical day be? Would they go into a school? Would they go out and about? Does everybody come to the club? How does it actually work in a practical sense? 
Well, in, in answer to your question, yes, uh, all, all of the above, really. So we have a, a you know a wide variety of of excellent staff that that deliver community work uh, throughout Manchester. So it, it can look in you know very different ways. So yes, it can be that we've got um, coaches going into primary schools, secondary schools, delivering a specific curriculum. Um, it can be that we're bringing uh, groups of young people on site to develop their you know employability and career skills and and, and looking into qualification. We work with um, four partner colleges at the moment, Connell being one of them, um, to deliver um, deliver provision in colleges uh, related to sort of sport and sports science. We have a, a, a really strong partnership with Manchester Metropolitan University, where we have a, a standalone degree program, which is um, community football coaching uh, degree, both at foundation and bachelor of science level. Um, we have obviously our outreach work, which is more like, as, as I mentioned, evening and weekends. So that is sort of reaching out into different areas of the city to provide opportunity for young people to take part in, in football and other physical activities. And then you've got the other side of things. Like, so, so, you know, my area, for example, where we are looking at building really strong relationships with commercial partners bringing investment into the into the charity um you know building strong relationships but but also um fundraising um and a number of different methods that we do whether that be you know events um whether that be you know working with donors working with partners um to bring sort of vital funds into the charity so that we can continue to to do the work that we do and, and also progress and, and grow i suppose so yeah, there's there's a lot going on. Um, there's lots of different teams that sort of work together fantastically well at City in the community, uh, and, and and interlink with with the club as well, which is really important for us. Yeah, I think together we do we do a really good job and uh, having significant impact. You know, on over twenty thousand young people uh, in in the city this year, um, which is admirable. Um, yeah, and obviously tackle some of some of the sort of challenges that young people face within within Manchester sort of day to day. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot going on in, in a nutshell. I know that during my time as as a as a broadcaster and uh, the connections that I've had with the club, some of the most satisfying things I've had has been, uh, for example, I hosted the the Junior Blues, the never to be forgotten Junior Fan Club of the of the uh, the football club for about 10, 15 years or something, and seeing a youngster come forward who lacked in confidence a little bit, but then engaged. I, I might wear a you know, I remember dressing up as a banana or something one year, you know, when I hosted it and seeing that that child who was scared and frightened at the, the beginning and then would come forward and engage. And by the time they left, they'd have a smile on their face and they would be uplifted, would give me the most satisfaction. And I've gone into schools and, and universities and whatnot now and again. And again, somebody who has walked away and felt that they've learned something and gained some confidence is the thing I've took more satisfaction from. You must be in that situation on a daily basis where you go into a classroom, you have some youngster who comes along, there might be one at the back who doesn't really want to engage, doesn't want to get involved. But by the time you've finished doing what you do, they've changed is is that the most satisfaction that you get from doing what you do and your your team? I mean, that, that's why we do what we do, right? Um, to to be able to to see that, to see that change, that development. Um, as as I say, overcome those challenges that that young people may have in in various different ways. Um, but but absolutely, um, the, the the case studies and the stories that we see of young people coming in with. You know, with with personal challenges, um, with difficulties, and and uh, as you mentioned, around sort of self confidence, self efficacy, those type of things, uh, in believing in themselves. Um, so from from coming in with a low level of that to to leaving or, or being supported in gaining, uh, you know, a real positive mindset, a, a, a more sort of a positive outlook on on their future, then. And that is why we're here. And and to, to be honest, I I don't see it as something nice that we do. I see it as something that we should do. Um, you know, this, this football club is 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 you know has community roots um, from its inception. Um, it's what we should be doing. We have a you know a responsibility to to use the, the you know the real positive nature of what's happening here at Manchester City to be able to 
you know, share that within the community and, and uplift, um, uplift the, the people of Manchester. Uh, and, and yeah, so so seeing that day in day out, uh, you know, week in week out is wonderful. Um, and and it's it's the reason why the majority of the people sitting in the community do do what they do. Um, you know, it's it's a, a very thankful task when you see young people develop and and you know and you've had some some part to play in that. I've I've read as well in the past that, that players like I know he's gone now, but Ilkay Gundogan would go out and and do something where he would go into a community project, um, and this is the great advantage that that footballers have because they're so high profile and so well known that you know just walking into a room and talking to somebody um, and inspiring them has such a profound effect, doesn't it? Again, you must have had. Um, you, you must have been in that that situation where you've witnessed that happen, and that can't be a better feeling, can it? Yeah, I mean, they, they are they are the inspiration, aren't they? The footballers, um, you know. So so to get uh, high profile footballers, which we do get quite regularly, to to engage with some of our programs on different levels is is amazing. I'm um, guessing that sometimes that that even you know, you, in a way, you sort of want to publicise it, but at the same time, doing it just doing it is actually as crucial as anything even if nobody knows about it isn't it yeah yeah of course um you know we, we've had people on site for example doing different programs and a player's walked past the window or something just as simple as that the the, the buzz that that gets but when a player actually engages in in a player appearance and, and, and like i say we have quite a few of those over the year that that the long-lasting, and that's important for us. The long-lasting impact that that will have on those young people is 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 extraordinary. Um, they'll never forget that for the rest of their lives. They might forget what they did in the lesson beginning of the day, but but they're not going to forget meeting, you know, Ruben Diaz or Jack Grealish or whoever that might be. Um, so yeah, it's it's a, it's a really important part. Um, and all, all, although that, as you mentioned, is the the showcase element, um, you know, what in, underpins all the work, you know, it, it, it's the nice element of of young people seeing that, but also obviously there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to underpin um, the curriculum and, and the programmes for those. So it's great that the players engage in that. Um, you know, we, we, we long for that to continue. Um, yeah, and really, you know, embedding them in, into what we do as well and, and continue to build those relationships. But, but yeah, you, you're right. It's um, a wonderful opportunity for young people to see. And um, yeah, I, I don't probably think the, real, the players maybe realise what significant impact they have because they're just they're just lads at the end of the day. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's wonderful to see for sure. Two of the things I suppose that we're very aware of at the moment is is the austerity, if you like, that people are, are they're dealing with. And I'm sure you go into schools, for example, and into areas of the community where uh, money is not something that they're overflowing with. And also we're in a society today where we're a lot more aware of diversity and supporting every member of society, whatever their background, whatever their uh, religion, whatever their gender, or anything like that. And and I think the club embrace, or the city in the community and the club, completely embraces that in what you do, don't, don't they? Yes, absolutely, and and you're right to mention that you know, particularly in recent years, it's it's become more and more and more apparent, um, particularly from a financial perspective and uh, economically. Um, so yeah, it's, it's something that we are uh, we're passionate about. Um, you know, it's really important for us that end users of, of our services, um, you know. They don't have to pay. <laughs> they don't have to pay to come to our outreach sessions, for example, is that we provide services as much as we possibly can, um, you know, for the young people in Manchester just to access um, because we know it's challenging um, to, to find the money to be able to engage in, in, in such activities. So so absolutely, in, in, from an EDI perspective, you mentioned it, it's it's absolutely essential that, that the club and, and city and the community, you know, continue to widen that net to continue to embrace people from any background um and yeah we're a diverse community right in manchester so that's who we are that's what you know that's that's what we are so we should absolutely embrace that and we do um so yeah there is a keen focus on us to 
make everything that we do, whether that be, you know, a program, whether that be, a, you know, an event as, as inclusive as we possibly can uh, to engage, uh, you know, as many as many people as you can. We've got some good examples of that. Um, whereby we've had events, uh, the Blue Run, for example, or the Stadium Absail, where we've had uh, young people from some from every background, from disability. We've had, you know, a ninety-two year old lady doing the um, the Absail, for example, and we we you know worked really hard to make sure that that was that was possible. So yeah, it's really really important to us. It's not just about us, us doing things uh it's, it's about us doing things right and, and appealing appealing to all of our community not just sections of it how is city in the community funded then uh yeah it's a challenge it's a challenge so it's, it's we're funded by um a, a number of different routes uh but but really we're funded um by organizations such as the premier league charitable fund um um, commercial partnerships, uh, grant funding, a lot of fundraising. Um, so, so yeah, we we are a standalone charity, um, and it, and it's important to mention that 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 we do. Um, although we are um, part of of Manchester City as as, as a huge organisation, uh, we, we are a department that re really wants to stand on our our own two feet with the support and the, and the significant support of the football club. But it's important for us to go out and uh, source, um, you know, revenue from, from areas that we, we possibly can. So yeah, we have some wonderful partnerships through, um, you know, club commercial um, partners, for example, the likes of, uh, of Nissan and Puma and, uh, and those type of organizations, which is really good to have them on board when, and their support. But we also have a lot of events, uh fundraising opportunities whether that be online auctions i'm sure you saw the the online auction of the the um champions league final shirts and, and the um the fa cup final um shirts that we had which we're very proud to have had sitting in the community a logo on the back of those shirts which was amazing um and although we weren't the first, it's really interesting to see a lot of other clubs doing that now. So that's nice. Uh, we're sort of trailblazing a little bit there. But yeah, we also have other opportunities. For example, we've just launched the City in the Community Prize Draw, which is reaching out to uh, everybody um, in, in the Manchester City family to yeah engage in a, in a prize draw, which is which is five pounds a month per ticket uh, at the moment, and we, we have some prizes that are for for you know our top prize is two and a half thousand pounds, um, and then we have some some other elements of sort of some signed shirts and and, and club experiences and things like that. Um, but although it's a prize draw and the, the, the prizes are involved, we, we, we do like to see it as a, an opportunity to donate. Um, so, um, yeah, if, if, if people want to donate £5 a month and there is a potential that they might win something, then then, then great. Um, you know, we, we're very much focused on that. We, we want to, you know, make sure people um, have the opportunity to, to donate at any type of level, uh, whether that be... You know, a hospitality client, uh, uh, or whether that be general fans like you and I. You know, it's, it's possible for us to support support sitting in the community. You know, from every angle, really. Well, tell us the practical information of of how do people do that then. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, hopefully fans will have seen it. Um, you know, um, the the match day uh, recently, we're all over the the jumbo screens and um, all over the match day uh, assets, which which was great. Uh, it's also been pushed out uh, across social and across the web. Um, but yeah, if if you want to go to the Sydney community section of of the the website, um, and yeah, you'll be able to find the prize draw link there where you can go and sign up. Um, there is an opportunity to sign up monthly, which is great. So, um, yeah, we, we sign up for a month, monthly £5 donation with, with the chance to win um, win those prizes. There is a one-off option as well if you just want to do that. But, but it's, yeah, it, it's kind of nice for people to set up that regular regular giving, um, giving opportunity to the charity of the football club that they love so yeah we, we we welcome that we're hoping to grow that over the coming months and years we know it's not um a, a, a quick thing but yeah we, we've had some really positive support to start with lots of people getting involved uh, lots of people engaged so uh, long may that continue 
uh, yeah, and we, we'll we'll be continuing to sort of market that and, and, and advertise that across across fans, um, so they can get involved and and uh, and hopefully see the positive impact that it makes. You know, the more successful that it is, the the more successful we can be as a charity and uh, and do more uh, more work, more impactful work, and and yeah, have a positive change in Manchester, which is which is the ultimate goal, really. I've been lucky enough to see some of the great work that you do. Um, so well done on to you and your team. Um, and thanks for, for chatting to us. I hope that you continue to expand and do what you're doing for many years to come. And you make us feel very proud. I mean, I'm very proud of my football club anyway, for lots of things that it does. Um, so this is just one of those those big things. How you'll ever replace Alex Williams at the top of the uh, the pyramid, I have no idea. Well, good luck with that as well. And thanks for chatting to us. No problem. Really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. So that was Sam Dainty telling us all about City in the community. And now the third and final part of this week's uh, podcast and a chance to meet the author of a new book. Ryan Foley has written a book called Manchester City, the genuine soap opera club in which he focuses on five particular games in City's history. A lot of people ask me to talk either in the vlogs that I do or in the podcast about history because there's a lot of City fans, of course, listen to this from all around the world who perhaps have come along to the club in recent years when the club has become more successful. And I know that a lot of them are fascinated by the history and want to learn more. So this might be an opportunity to do that. And obviously, with the festive season on the way, it might be something that you want to get for yourself or get for somebody else. So let's meet Ryan Foley, who'll tell us all about his book, The Genuine Soap Opera Club. So, uh, Ryan, first of all, thanks very much for joining me. What's the book called? Oh. What's it about? And, um, you know, give us a little bit of a, a headline to begin with. Yeah, of course. Well, thanks, Ian, for having me on here. Um, longtime fan. I'll I'll preface it by saying um, I would periodically, you know, because we get different broadcasting teams over here in the states for our matches, and um, we don't always get. You know, we we've, we've been lucky enough to have Ian Dark and um, Arla White and various others. But you know, when you don't get the B, the A team, and you get the B or the C team, I used to love queuing up your uh, broadcasts to to the matches over here. So. Yeah, it's 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 an honor to be on the show because I've been listening to you for a long time. Um, I wish I was still doing it, frankly, but there you go. Time's changed. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the book is called uh, Manchester City: The The Genuine Soap Opera Club. Um, and you know, it came out of part of you know what got me into the club. Um, is it's 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 not lifelong, but it's been about 20 years now, which I think over here in the States is pretty much as, as far back as you can go. Um, but it was the, just the history of the club that attracted me to city and, um, yeah, really came out of, and we spoke a little bit over email that, uh, you're seeing this weird disconnect with, um, which is great that you're getting new supporters to the club all the time. Um, but a lot of them are kind of unaware of just how much you know how rich the history is and it's just lately been about the you know the trophies and whatnot which which are great and it's it's been fun to follow them since you know the you know they were bought in 2008 but a lot of it was just you know the impetus was just to focus on you know just how rich of a history this club has and for a long long time it hasn't just about been about winning it's been about losing and you know a lot of other things so Fascinating because if some lifelong City fan based in Manchester had written a book like yours, then I'm sure people would, without even reading it necessarily, would look at it and think, uh, oh, this is somebody who lives in the past, somebody who, you know, isn't embracing the modern culture. And yet, as an American as well, um, so... Yep. You know, the cliche is that all the American City fans are glory hunters and newbies and whatnot. And mm -hmm. referring back to the downs as much as the ups uh, is is really interesting to come from 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 you um, as a, as an American. So uh, how do you come about doing something like this? Well, you know, it started in. Um, and as you know, I mean, the, the clubs had some. Um, I guess, last, lack of a better term, spectacularly just 
you know, crazy relegation seasons. And it really came out of that where it was about, well, I'm going to chronicle, you know, five of the uh, most well-known relegation seasons. But, you know, you realize that you can't tell the story of the relegation seasons without telling, you know, the story in between, you know, and the, you know, perfect example is the the first chapters about the, you know, the 1937-38 team that went down and is still the only side that went down after winning, you know, the league the year before. Um, so it ended up becoming more of like, a you know, an overall history of the club with the emphasis on, you know, five particular seasons. Um, but eventually it got to the point where I, you know, I approached it. I was like, I want this to be like a pocket history of the club. If you're, you know, a newcomer, whether you're from the States or anywhere else, um, really would fill you in as to, you know, just how rich of a history this, you know, this club has. So it's funny because I've written, but may never publish um, a book of my journey as a City fan from you know 1970 when I attended my first game and all the ups and downs including the relegations I'm sure that you're talking about down to the third tier of English football um, right through to winning the Champions League and you have centred on I wouldn't say the negative or, or correct me but you, you've centred on the other part of the club's history which will surprise a lot of people because when I was writing my version of the book, as I say, men never publish it, but it felt like it had to have a happy ending. Does your <laughs> book have a happy ending? I mean, you know, how, how does the, the the five relegation seasons blend into a, a a good read for City fans? Yeah, and it does. I mean, the 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 epilogue is basically covers you know the stadium deal and um, you know the takeover when after Franny Lee stepped down, and you know you don't need to obviously tell people what's what the future held because we're already there but yeah it, it does hint towards the fact that you know there better times were ahead and you know obviously supporters probably hoped for it but didn't quite know it at the time but you know they potentially were forthcoming so I suppose it does have that happy ending have you done your research I mean I, I'm uh, you know I've known Dr Gary James for a long time who's seen as a sort of club's um, unofficial historian, a magnificent man who knows everything really about the club and I would mm -hmm. never question anything he says. Um, but from your side of the pond, I think you're based in Boston, aren't you? Um, yes. It must have been a lot harder to research this stuff. So how did you go about it? Yeah, and, you know, and Dr. Gary James's um, book, Manchester, the City Years, was like an indispensable, um, you know, resource for me. Um, there's, there's no way my intent was ever to compete with what he's done. Um, you know, like I said, it would, this was more about like an introductory, like one Oh, you know, here's major city one Oh one history course, that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, if you really get into it, I would highly encourage anyone to, to read, you know, Dr. Gary James's book or anyone else's. Um, but it was, it was mostly, um, you know, player biographies. Um, you know, there's been so many books just about particular managers or, um, you know, players as well or seasons. And um, a lot of it was, it's it's amazing with the internet, um, the access you have to old newspapers. So I was able to get, you know, Manchester Evening News, The Guardian, Daily Tele Telegraph, like all these top um, papers from the UK um, that were, you know, indispensable in, in pulling all the, the the whole book together. And I noticed from the comments that you've made to me when we've been setting up this interview, um, you know, you, the, well, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but, but you were talking about the, the almost disconnect in the way that fans used to be and the fans are now. I guess you're talking about the relationship with players and the club, etc. So do you want to enlighten us a little bit on that? Yeah, I think it was, it was more, Ian, about... Um, more about that you're not seeing like, I think, as I said in the email that you're getting fans that have jumped on because as you said earlier, the glory hunters or, and I think I even maybe even mentioned too, that there's been a lot, quite a few that have come on um, even since Pep landed with city. Um, and I get it. I mean, you know, I think you see it a lot too after, you know, especially here in the States after a world cup where, you know, 
fans fall in love. They want to get into the sport and they fall in love with a certain player or the way, you know, like a, a certain teams playing and whatnot. So everybody has their entry point, you know, to getting into a club. Um, I just feel like more and more, and I don't know what it's like over in the UK, um, it's, it's just become about with City, just about winning the trophies and, you know, Champions League and, you know, all that sort of thing. So that was, it was more about speaking to that sort of thing. I mean, I've seen the club change over the years. I've been watching, as you can imagine. I mean, at one time, um, I hosted uh, the the junior fan club called the Junior Blues, and we used to have families come down uh, once a month on a Sunday, and players would come down. That's all changed now. The club's become too big for that, and there's a lot more emphasis now on attracting corporate and overseas uh, visitors because generally they have more disposable income, profit margins are bigger, and the players, of course, now are living in a bubble, really, because they're all multimillionaires. And so the opportunity to meet them in a more relaxed environment is almost non-existent. As a person now who's a little bit more disconnected, because you're on the other side of the pond, and have looked at the history of the club in some depth and clearly are very, very fascinated by it, do you see the way that City have changed from those relegation seasons and those um, dips in, in, in the club's history to where they are now as a bad thing? Because it's certainly a debate among fans all the time as to whether, you know, this change is is what they want. Some some want it, some don't. Some can't even quite make their mind up. Yeah, I mean, it it it's tough over here because the getting that pulse of like the the average supporter, the average city supporter is just not there that, you know, you would obviously have over in the UK. Um, I know some supporters from within my, you know, Boston group that have been following them as long as I have. Um, and I think it's sort of the same. They, they, they take the same approach that I do where it's, you know, you, it's just been amazing these last 15 years or so. Um, but there's that still appreciation for when the, the, Glove went through some incredibly rough patches. Um, so, but yeah, again, it, it's it's tough to get a read on that over here because, you know, we, we haven't been immersed in it like, you know, fans over in the UK and, you know, a lot of us are, you know, relatively new to the club and whatnot, so. Is there a growing number of, of fans in the States particularly? Are you able to, you know, give any insight on that? Yeah, I mean, I can only... I mean, you see the the numbers on, you know, in terms of Twitter followers and, and whatnot. Um, I can only speak for, um, you know, managing the the Boston, you know, we're, as I said to you, part of the, uh, we're one of the official supporters groups. Um, there's been like an uptick in, in membership, but I, I, I still think for the most part that um, we lag behind, you know, the, you know, I don't want to say bigger clubs, but the, the clubs that have been, in terms of winning established a little bit more, whether it's United or Arsenal, Liverpool. Um, so yeah, it, it's the fan base is growing, but I still don't think we're anywhere near um, a lot of other clubs. So, which I, I don't know, I'm totally fine with. I mean, the the pub that we go to, um, they draw fans from all you know from all other clubs, and I I, I kind of like the fact that you know we usually have our own little corner of uh, the Banshee and. Um, we're, we're we're outnumbered by the Liverpool fans or Chelsea supporters and and all that. Is your book targeted at people then in the UK, or are you hoping that that you know your book will enlighten some Americans as well, so that if and when Pep goes and the form maybe isn't quite at the extreme level as it is mm -hmm. at the moment, that they will see the value of staying connected to a club with a you know, a colourful history rather than just abandon it because the trophies aren't there anymore? I mean, what motivated me to write it was definitely aimed at, you know, fans over here in the States. Um, but I also think there's some, you know, there's value for anyone who's a, you know, a City fan from anywhere. Um, I can remember when um, Aguero was approaching the um, record, the club record for most goals. And one of the podcasts I was listening to, it had, you know, three folks from the UK that were lifelong city supporters. And when they mentioned, you know, Eric Brooke, who had the record before 
you know, Aguero broke it, none of them had ever heard of him. None, none, none of them even knew who he was or even knew who was the former record holder. So, I mean, I think there's definitely a, an audience there for, you know, anyone that wants to learn about, um, you know, just the overall history of the club. But how do people get it? I mean, obviously, the people all around the world listen to the podcast, watch the YouTube channel. Um, so how do they get it? How do they get the book? Yeah, so it's uh, Legends Publishing. Um, they've been doing football books for, I think, about 30 years now. Um, you can find it on there. And we just recently popped up on Amazon. Um, you can get a you know, paperback copy there and uh, electronic version as well. So you're going to be a millionaire from this then aren't you no no <laughs> no i i definitely don't anticipate that so i you know it was more about i i love this club and i love the history and it was just it from that point of view it was just it was just enjoyable to just be able to write about it so i've been writing professionally you know for 30 something 35 years now so it was it was it was more about that so have you had the chance to come over and watch City? I haven't. I've been over to England. I have not seen them. Well, you not must do to... that. You must do that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. This has to be remedied like very, very soon. So, absolutely. While they're riding the crest of this wave, you never know when it's yeah. coming. We never take it for granted as Blues. No, no. Nope. Um, then, then get over here and see it while City are absolutely yeah. the maximum. Uh, but thanks for for joining me. Um, thanks, Ryan, and good luck with the book. And uh, Thanks, you know, one thing I'll tell you for certain, and I don't know if you've got this in the book, but it's great to be a blue. <laughs> of course it is. Yes. <laughs> you know, and even before all this recent success, it was still great to be a blue. So with my thanks to Amar Development UK, who sponsored the podcast, of course, and to Ryan Foley talking about his book, The Genuine Soap Opera Club, to Sam Dainty from City in the Community and to Sue and Dave Wallace for their years of producing and delivering to us King of the Kipaks, a City fanzine. That's just about it for this week. I'll be back after the Liverpool game. Of course, before that, there'll be the, uh, the video vlog. So please have a look at that from the Liverpool game. And then we will have a couple of great guests, I'm sure, just after the Liverpool game to record the next audio podcast. Thanks very much for subscribing. Share it with everybody you can. Tell everybody about us. Get them all to subscribe. It's free. Anybody can listen. And as ever, if you don't remember anything else from this podcast, just remember this. It's great to be a blue. <laughs>